Oh, good morning. Good to have you here today, and it is my privilege to preach this morning. I am Skip Leninger, an associate pastor here, and it is always a privilege to preach and be here with you. This morning, I want us to think um, in terms of Galatians 5. Actually, over the next two weeks, we're going to deal with the first 18 verses today, portions of them, and then we'll deal kind of with the last uh, half next week and the fruits of the Spirit. But I want you to um, just think with me a little bit about what it means to experience God's grace, what it is to make sure that we add nothing to our salvation. Uh, Paul was working out a time when, uh, as he talked with the church in Galatia, actually the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica, all of them struggled with um, adding something to our salvation. Jesus plus something or Jesus minus something is what equals salvation. When it's in reality, what we needed to, what he wanted them to understand was it was Jesus, period. It was Christ, period, that earned our salvation. His, his work on the cross, not, not adding or taking away anything from the gospel, but leaving the gospel as pure as it should be. And it's, it's important because we, we live in a time when it's easy to want to check off boxes. There are whole religions that are set up that says, if you're good enough, you'll get to heaven. If you do the following things, you can get to heaven. Or if you'll change this about your life, you might be make it close enough that you can get to heaven. And yet we, um, we, we believe firmly in our faith that it has nothing to do with my merit or your merit or what you've done or what we've earned or where we've come from, but it has everything to do with what Jesus has done in us. Amen? It's His change in us that makes us different. It's in Christ that we're different. It's in Christ that we have salvation. And although that sounds pretty simple, um, even in Paul's day and, and today, we always want to add a little something to it. We always want to add something that makes it a little better. Let me, let me give an example. I had the privilege of leading a young man to the Lord years ago. Um, boy, when he got saved, God just did a neat work in his life. He was a kind of a big guy, had played football in high school and a little bit of college. And he was an EMT, worked out regular, so he was a massive guy. When he came to me one day and he said, I want to ask you something. I said, okay. He said, I want to know how to get saved. And it was like, yes, you know, one of those easy moments where you're kind of like, okay, let's do this. So I led, I led him through not only a sinner's prayer, I gave him a Bible and showed him what the Bible says about how we can know for sure we're saved and what we need to, to do to trust Christ. Just evident the Holy Spirit was all over him. He was wanting to change. A lot of things going on in his life. And so as we prayed there that day, he there was just something fresh in him. Uh, throughout the week, I got calls. I set him up with a little bit of discipleship things to do to get ready. That next Sunday, we had a come forward invitation. And boy, he was the first one down the aisle. And when I got to him, I said, hey, Steve, tell me why you're here. He said, I'm here to let everybody know that I've trusted Jesus. I want to be a different husband. I want to be a different daddy. And he meant it. So I had him stand there at the close of the service, and I said, uh, I want you folks to come by and just greet him. Just tell him you're going to be praying for him. Come on by and encourage him, you know. After all that was over, he came up to me just a little bit sad, and I thought, my goodness, what? And he said, you know, he said, one of the guys that came through the line said to me, well, hey, now that you're saved, now that you know Jesus, maybe you'll get rid of the earring and the ponytail. And I said, who in the world told you this? And he named the guy's name. The guy was his same age. Wife and two little kids. This guy knew better. He was, a, it was some sort of a professional job at a downtown firm. But he said to him, now that you say, maybe you'll lose the earring and the ponytail. And he said, do I have to 
get rid of my earring? Do I have to, uh, you know, cut my hair? And then he rolled up his sleeve. How about these tattoos? And I said, you don't have to do anything. What saves you is Jesus. What saves you is Jesus Christ. Nothing you do, nothing you do makes God love you any more than he already loves you. God loves you just like you are. He went on to live an incredible life, uh, was very, was a good, he, he true to his word, uh, good to his wife, good to his kiddos, uh, and just one of those kind of guys. And I, I have to say, the fellow that, uh, I did talk to the fellow that kind of talked with him, and I just said, you know, what are you thinking, a brand new Christian? And, and uh, this guy had a lot of problems with what we would call legalism. He had a faith that said, now that I'm, I'm saved, I need to do the following things in order for God to love me. We don't have that kind of faith. God calls us into a forgiveness that's full and complete. Your past is forgiven, every bit of it. When 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it means it. It means it. It means we are forgiven, we're cleansed, we're made brand new, done deal. And so as we look at Galatians chapter 5, I want you to look with me at, at this story that Paul talks about as he talks to those in Galatia. He's addressing kind of two problems, and I'll just set that up. He, there, there is this idea that for you to get saved, you need to do the following things. And then now that you are saved and you've trusted Christ, you need to do the, these things or take away those things. And so kind of a, a legalistic salvation and a legalistic sanctification of holiness, and no, neither one of those match. It's only life as the Spirit of God lives in us and lives through uh, literally throughout our lives, um, that we're able to know the forgiveness in Christ. It's nothing I do that earns God's favor, either for salvation or to be made more like Christ. So let's look at Galatians 5, beginning with verse 1. And I want to read through verse 18. I may stop a, a, a couple points just to kind of make a point here. But let's look at Galatians 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you all. And so Paul talks here about circumcision. One of the problems with the, the Judaizers had are those Jews that were coming into town saying, great, now that you're saved, that's wonderful. But now that you're saved and you know Christ, you need to do a couple things. One of them is, fellas, you need to get circumcised, okay? Um, I'll let you talk to your folks about that if you know what that means later. That's up to you. The word circumcision here, the thought here is not about any physical act. It really is about somehow performing uh, a, a certain duty that God will accept me because of it. So it's not really about circumcision. It's about a legalistic act that I may or may not do that makes God accept me now. So Paul's saying there's nothing that you can do to make God accept you. And so that when you see that word circumcised, that's really what he's talking about. He says, again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised uh, that he's obligated then to do the entire law. The Jews had well over 613 different laws to do besides the regular Ten Commandments. Some 325 or so of those were negative, and some 200 and some were, were positive things that we should do. I mean, literally, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath? You could only take 70 steps on that day. And if you went to 71, you sinned. So what they do? Hired somebody to carry them. Go figure. I mean, that, that, it, that you had to have, if you had a garment, and it, it certainly had to have so many tassels on that garment. Everything, food, you name it, how they dressed, what they did, all a legalistic rule on how it needed to happen. And so what he's saying here is, is if, 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 you, if you think just doing a little thing, 
like circumcision, a physical act that you need to do to obey the law, then you're, you need to obey the entire law. Just bring it all out if, if that's what you're saying needs to happen. If you've got to check off a box, check them all, which Paul knew was so impossible. He knew it well as a Pharisee and one who, who knew the law. So he says in verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you're alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by, the, by faith, the hope of righteousness. And so fallen from grace is not fallen from salvation. It means you've fallen off the grace wagon. It's grace that saves you. It's grace that changes you. You were on a road to grace. Now you're off track. Get back on track. Paul's being real firm with them about this. How it's God's unmerited favor that not only saves you, but it's God's unmerited favor that changes you in life. And so he says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented, who cut in, who hindered you, is what he's saying, from being persuaded regarding the truth and the race you're in? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Be careful, a little leaven leavens a whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord that you will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I preach, I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted then? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. You were called to be free. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. And so what I want you to see this morning is that idea of, of the fact that legalism is a dangerous, dangerous um, thing. It can be uh, one that undermines our faith in Christ. It, it sets us up to say, well, now that I'm saved, here's what I need to do to make myself feel good about my religion. It's religion again. It's not a relationship. We have a relationship with Christ, and nothing should stand in the way of it. You know, um, there were just times when, you know, even, even in our own church, and we can blame other denominations and religions or whatever, but even in our own place, we, we struggle with what's, what seems to be the right thing to do. Just in my time in growing up, I remember when there were things like... Uh, that we need to, to worry about. Um, ladies' clothing back in the day. Uh, ladies, um, if you were coming to church, you wore a dress. You didn't think about wearing pants or capris or skorts or whatever all these things are. You, didn't, you had long hair. You didn't wear much makeup. You know, I mean, that's how ladies were supposed to dress when they came to church. Um, I dated Joni. Um, she, was, uh, she had went to a very, very conservative uh, Baptist church, a very conservative Baptist church. Um, and matter of fact, a lot of times she wore real long dresses and whatever. And so I was scheduled to play tennis with her. And uh, I worked at Lake Saltiska at our camp. She worked there too. Um, and uh, I thought, okay, she's going to show up wearing tennis. And so I put on full length blue jeans and a long sleeve shirt that buttoned up, thinking I'm covered now. I'm going to be. When Johnny showed up to play tennis with her little racket, 
she had this little pink terry cloth tennis outfit on, little shorts, a little top, and I thought, yeah. <laughs> now that's a gal I can date. 42 plus years later, you know, here we are. So um, I was loving that. So much for legalism. Throw that right out the window, you know. You know, I, we, you, we really, we do all those kind of things. We, we make the funniest things. My, my dad, I, you know, Andrew Howard one time said to me, he said, you know, I sat in church one time with my ball cap on. Your father came by and flipped that cap off my head and said, don't worry, you're at church, son. He said, your daddy would, he, oh, he my, even my own father in this church would have done that sort of thing, thinking somehow that that hat made you less than religious, you know, and had nothing to do with it. Wait, you know, music we have, we can, we can argue over music, some kind of, you know, Jesus sang that song. That's why I sing it so close to me, he sang that song. He, he didn't. He didn't sing Amazing Grace. He didn't even use the King James Bible. He didn't, okay? We, we had some Christmas trees a few years ago that were like a squiggly LED lights on the stage. Remember those? There were a lot of other comments made about those trees, Sean. But, um, uh, and somebody said to Joni, God wouldn't like those trees. God wouldn't like those trees. God's worried about Christmas trees. I mean, we, we have to be careful. What, what we think God will accept and how we perform and what we do, it, it's not about what we do. It's not about the law. It is about God's grace and what he wants to do in our life. And so what we need to do is, number one, we need to stand firm in our freedom in Christ. We need to stand firm. We need to understand that it's our freedom in Christ um, through God's unmerited favor that sets us free. We will not go astray if we remember that, as Paul said, Christian liberty was grounded on our relationship to Jesus Christ. Our, our relationship to Christ sets us free. And so, hey, Sean, what'd you do with my mirror? Mirror. Forgot that part. Oh, I guess it's, let's put it right here, Mark. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Give him a hand. I've got a helper out here, too. Elizabeth, where are you? Come on up here. I need your help. There she is. When God gave us the law, he gave us the law for a reason. The law has a purpose. Jesus says, I didn't come. Boy, Ken, I got you right in the main line, don't I? Let's see, let's see who else I can get with this. No. Right down the middle. All right. Well, have patience with me. All righty. Um, when he, gave, when, when he gave us the law, the law had a purpose and a reason. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. The law has a reason and purpose. The law, like this mirror, does a couple things. The law shows us what's wrong. The law can show us that, hey, we, um, we've got problems. Um, and it, it reveals to us what's wrong. Um, it reveals to us that we need... We need uh, to change some things. So as I, I look in this mirror and I think about, uh, you know, I just kind of take a look. I see that I um, may have, oh, my hair, holy cow. Uh, my face. Matter of fact, Elizabeth, I did not, I, something I didn't do this morning, I'll tell you, okay. 
This is Elizabeth Parsons. Elizabeth is uh, 12 years old. This is their, uh, her family's second time here at, in our area, right? Kind of what you, you were here when you were back eight, and now she's 12, and she went to Washington State and then Alabama for a little bit, and now they're back. We're glad to have their family back. Um, she's going to help me uh, this morning because she's going to show me what uh, this mirror shows me, and that is when I look in the mirror, I see uh, what's, what's true about my face, at least this side, because you got that side. What's, what's over there? Whiskers. Whiskers. You sure? Let me see. I think so. So I, so I didn't shave that side, did I? And I didn't shave this morning on purpose. You know, when I look in the mirror, I can see hairs, whatever, maybe a smudge, but I didn't shave. Now, that mirror can't change me. That mirror's not going to make me better. That mirror is not going to affect any change in my life. In the same way, the law just shows what's wrong. It just shows what I, what's, what's wrong with me and what I need to do. But the law can't change. Only God's Spirit can change me. Only the Spirit of God, through grace and through my faith as I live it out, changes my life. The mirror, like the law, merely reflects it. So, I'm going to get Elizabeth's help this morning. You ready for this? I think I'm, I'm ready. She did pretty good the first hour. We'll see. All right, let me... We're going to do this side this time, okay? All right. You're getting good at this. She told me this morning, I've never shaved anybody or my legs before, so... <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit leery. Got me there? Okay. Is that good? All right. We're ready, right? Let's head out a little bit. Okay. Let's do this. Real gentle, okay? Real gentle. That's it. You're doing pretty good. A little bit more. My beard may be changed after this, but let's see. Pretty good? All right, let me have you rinse me off here and dry me off. So I look halfway good. You got it all? Good job. You clean up your hands there. Give her a hand, would you? All right. Elizabeth, thank you. In the same way that this mirror could not change me, only the Spirit of God, only through God's working in my life can change me. Elizabeth, what's your first name? Grace. Grace. Elizabeth, Grace Elizabeth, right? Parsons. Uh -huh. I've been shaved by Grace. Thank you. <laughs> now, as hokey as that is and as trite as that is, it's real. That mirror doesn't change me. The law, the rules, they don't change me. What changes me is when I allow God's Spirit to work in my life and work through me, I am made brand new, and you are too. It's, it's true for salvation, forgiven and cleansed. It's true for being more holy and more like Jesus. The Spirit works throughout me. What the law doesn't have the power to do, the Spirit does through grace. Grace changes. Grace saves. Grace sanctifies. And so we need to stand firm in our freedom in Christ. Secondly, we need to Stop seeking the approval of others. 
We need to stop worrying about what others are thinking. Um, Paul, as he talks about this, he realizes that it's the Judaizers that are coming into town saying, oh, okay, great, now that you've accepted Jesus, since we're more mature, let us explain to you what you need to do next. Paul says, don't, don't look for others to uh, their approval. It's only God you need to look approval for. It's only God that needs the approval you have. And so don't put that on them. And don't let them put that on you. A few years ago, I um, had a chance, uh, was here for about 10 years, got to be work with youth, and, and it's had an incredible time here. When we got ready to go to a church in St. Louis to pastor, um, kind of a little different going from a church like this as a youth minister to a church to be the pastor. And so I sat all three of our kids down, 11, 6, and, and 4. I sat them on the bed in their bedroom, you know, 1, 2, 3. And I said to them, now, guys, dad is going to go to a church in St. Louis and be a pastor now. And I, I'm, I am, you know, I, I, it's a serious, very serious thing. It's a very serious thing that, that we're going to be doing, and I need your help because I need you to be the very best kids you can be. I need you to never get in trouble. I need you to just, you know, never embarrass me. I need to make sure you're ready for this job. And I just laid it on thick, man. I was just little 11, 6, and 4 staring at me like deer in headlights. Joni came over to me and said, can I see you a minute? She took me back into our bedroom and said, you sit right here on the bed. She said, do you hear what you're doing to those kids? Do you hear the, 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 what you're laying down on them and, the, and the, 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 what you're putting them? They have to be these perfect kids now in ministry so that you won't be embarrassed, so that you can be accepted. Do you hear what you're doing to our own kids? I don't know. For some reason that day I wasn't hard-headed. I heard it. I heard it from her, and I had to go back to the kids and say, I am so sorry. Dad just does want you to know we're making some changes, but we're excited we're doing this together as a family. God's going to go ahead of us. God will be with us. Let's see what he does. And he, 13 wonderful years is what he did. But I, the pressure I even was willing to put on my own kids because I wanted the approval of others. You know, we got to be careful. Parents, we have to be careful of that very thing if we're not and so, not only do we need to stop seeking the approval of others, in verses 7 through 12 says, you were running well. Who prevented you? And literally that who prevented you is, is while you were running your race, who cut in on you? Who cut you off? Who hindered you from running? Because you were doing so well um, regarding the truth. This persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. God didn't tell you this, he says. So be careful. A little leaven leavens the whole batch. You start here, he's saying, and it will just snowball. It becomes bigger and bigger. All the things you're going to have to do, all the ways you're going to have to perform, all the people you're going to have to please. Paul says, don't start it now. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. It's the, it's the power of God's Spirit that works in you, that changes you, plus nothing and minus nothing. We're to be that faithful. So we, we need to also, as we think about refusing to submit to a perform, performance-based faith, we, we need to have a faith that's real and genuine. So we must refuse to submit to a performance-based faith. A faith that says uh, in verse 13, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another. We, we have an idea that I need to somehow please God in my performance. And sometimes others push that on us. But it, and we have to just honestly refuse that. It's, God does not look at you and say, well, let's see how you do today on your own. No. 
God says, let's see how we can walk together to get today, you and I. Let's how we can see how we can change the world around together, you and I. And he wants us to be that kind of people. Then number four, we are to live honestly according to God's truth. We're to live honestly according to God's truth. God calls us to be that very person. He, he, he wants us to really recognize and affirm his truth as we live it out. Verses 6 says that um, as, as we look at what God wants us to do and be, and, uh, is that for Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplish anything. What matters is faith working through love. And it's that honesty that as we deal with, with ourselves, and Paul says here as he talks to them, I'm confused and persuade, or I'm persuaded that the Lord you will not accept this view, he says, but whoever it is that's confusing will, you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might actually let themselves be mutilated. If they think circumcision is where they need to start, let's just take it to the next level and let them just mutilate their whole bodies if somehow that makes them more like Christ. Paul realizes that performance, a performance-based religion is one that will kill, is one that will maim. A performance-based religion is one that gets in the way of truly knowing the freedom, the liberty we have in Christ. The liberty we have in Christ. That, that freedom is amazing, and God wants us to live in that freedom, to live honestly as we do that. Billy Graham, the famed um, evangelist, uh, often drove himself or, or rode, had somebody drive him to a lot of his meetings. Uh, if he didn't have to fly, they drove. And one particular uh, meeting that he had, um, he was on his way home. He was actually driving himself. He tells this story in, in one of his books and, and actually even in a, an article later that's published about one of his trips home. He was driving through really a little small southern town, but he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Uh, Dr. Graham admitted the guilt, um, and he was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court sometime. In those days, um, offenders would uh, go, often could go right to court to either plead their case, they could pay the fine, or they could have a court date set for them at another time. Billy chose uh, to do the very first one. He chose to take care of it immediately, and so he appeared before a judge. The judge asked him how he pleaded. Billy admitted guilty. The judge hit the gavel and ordered 10 miles over the limit, $10 fine. Then the judge looked back over the ticket and saw the name William Franklin Graham. He looked closer and asked, aren't you Billy Graham? Well, Dr. Graham had already pulled out his wallet to pay the fine and he looked kind of embarrassed when he agreed and said, yes, your honor, I am. The judge said, I am sorry. There are no exceptions paying the fine for breaking the law. However, to Billy's surprise, the judge got up from his chair. He walked over to the clerk of the court. He pulled out his wallet, and he paid the fine for Billy. The judge then asked uh, Dr. Graham, could I take you out for a steak dinner? Of which Dr. Graham agreed and said, that, that is what God does for repentant sinners. That is an amazing grace. And that's what God did for us. That's what God did for us. He was willing to let us be those who would live uh, a life with His good pleasure, a life with pleasing Him, not others. We need to live that out. We need to live it out. I often, um, 
I don't know if I just didn't do a good job of parenting or, or what, but um, my kids would flat call me out. They'd say, hey, Dad, why don't you listen to your own message sometime, you know? Or they'd say, hey, Dad, you tell us about this. How about that? And I'd have to just swallow my pride and say, you're right, you're right. Or um, th- there, were, there were times when I might get a little bit heated and a little bit out of, contro- out of control, and they'd say, you know what? I think right now you're more angry at me than you are, you know, uh, what, and, and there were t- multiple times I had to admit it. A few times, um, you know, I, when I, just admitting them that, I was, that they were right was uh, exactly what needed to happen. And so that kind of, any kind of hypocrisy that I'm a part of, it's, it, you know, I just couldn't do it. I, we got pulled over for speeding one time ourselves. Sarah Beth was tiny. And uh, the, I, I got a warning. I didn't get a ticket. And as we settled back in and I put her uh, back in her car seat, she looked at me and she was about four and a half and said, now, Dad, when we leave here, you better go slow because if he catches us again, we're dead meat. You know, live life out in front of others honestly. Live honestly according to God's truth. Be willing to recognize and affirm, even when there's personal hypocrisy, that I can't, I've got to live true to God's word. I can't be fake and phony and try to put up this appearance, even for my own family and my own kids. Matter of fact, if you want to know how you're doing, ask your family. Guys, ask your wife, wives, ask your husbands, you know, ask your kids. They'll tell you how you're doing at living this Christian life thing. They'll be real honest. Matter of fact, maybe brutally honest. Number five, we need to love others responsibly. Paul calls us to love. Verse six, he says, what matters is faith working through love. Verse 13 and 14 says, for you were called to be free brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Verse 15 says, for the whole, 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. There must have been a problem in Galatia, in the church that he's writing to, um, in terms of maybe quarrels and just not working together very well. Because Paul addresses it incredibly specific in, in verse 15 when he says, But if you bite and devour one another, you know, bite is kind of that if you pick at each other and devour is the eat the whole thing kind of thing. He's, he's kind of progressive here. Watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. And what he's saying is the danger is in, in church that if we're not genuine with each other, we don't love each other and be willing to forgive, offer the grace that God offers, what we're to soon discover is the very thing we're trying to build as a community of faith is destroyed because nobody believes us. We talk about grace, but we don't live it. Paul says, be careful. So that he tries to address that problem specifically right here as he talks in verse 15. And he realizes that the church is a place that does need a place that demonstrates grace. So we're to love others responsibly. He says it's not, and, and by, by responsibly too, I, I mean this. You know, because God offers grace and he forgives you, and he forgives you completely and forgives me completely, it's not the thought like, well, hey, since I'm forgiven, let's just go do some more sinning. You know, we can do whatever because he's going to forgive me again. Well, that's not love. That is not, that's missing the whole point of love. If I love this Savior who died for me and forgave me, then I, then I want to live for Him. I want to live responsibly. I want to do things that would, that would bring Him glory and honor. So we're not given license to just do whatever we want instead of legalism. We're given, we're, what we're given is a command to take the freedom we have in Christ and, de- and live that out in, in a love to each other in such a way that it's demonstrated responsibly. 
We're to live um, with the intent of heaven in mind. And so he says uh, to love each other, we need to have faith that works in love in verse 6. We need to serve one another in verse 13. We need to love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus took those simple laws and just kind of reduced it to the, to the bottom. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves and be that kind of people. You see, moral behavior is something that needs to be, that, that uh, is not about following rules. It's about following a Savior. Matter of fact, if, if, moral, if, if moral behavior or, was following rules, we could teach a computer to be moral because it knows how to follow rules. But the truth is, we're a people who, are, who live in relationships, and God knows that. And he wants us to be the kind of people who are faithful. Legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. He loves us. So we need to have that kind of faith that, that is opposed to legalism. Legalism, if we're not careful, can breed a sense of entitlement that turns us really into complainers. A complainer that says... Well, I don't like that, and, and um, I do this, and, and I, uh, you know, the truth is we need to be willing to offer a faith that is real, a faith that is genuine, a faith that is lived out in love. At its heart, legalism is a desire to appear holy. It's, a, it's trying to be justified before men and not before God because God knows the truth. We can't live that kind of life. We need to live a life of, of love responsibly. And then lastly, we need to walk in a spirit-empowered grace. We need to walk in a spirit-empowered grace. Verses 16 through 18, say, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, a law that can only reveal imperfections, a law that can only show what's wrong, but it can't make it right. We're to live under the grace of God in the power of the Holy Spirit so that he can change and work in us as he wants to do his will. As we walk in that spirit-empowered living, a wonderful thing happens. That life in the Holy Spirit is when we read God's Word. It's when we listen to God's Spirit and when we obey Him as we walk through life. It's one of the reasons we talk to you about being in Bible study. It's one of the reasons we're, you're encouraged. Pastor is always encouraging us to, to read through Scriptures on a regular basis, five days a week, seven days a week, whatever you can do. Again, it doesn't have to be seven and check every box. It's not about legalism. It's about spending time in that relationship. And so your five to seven days a week, if you'll spend time in that relationship, you'll find out that God will give you guidance and lead you. He'll lead you through life in, in your home. He'll lead you through life at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood, with your family, and your extended family. He wants to use you. He wants to live through you in such a powerful way. Moses went up the mountain and came down and delivered the law. Jesus went up on the cross and he satisfied the law. He satisfied the law and told us two of the greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus took the laws and boiled them down. And if we can't do that, then we can't do the others. We're to live that out through the power of God's Spirit. 
We're to live that out in the grace that forgives, in the grace that changes. And we're to live it out so that others see Jesus in us. Your family needs grace. Your marriage needs grace. Your neighborhood, our world needs grace. The unmerited favor of God. They need to see it in you. So they'll want what you have in Jesus. You need to offer that this week. So I, wanna, I just, just want to pray for, for us this morning. That if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that you would just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. You be the boss. You come in. You cleanse. You forgive. You make me brand new. Do what the law couldn't do. I invite you in. But Christian, if you're here and you say, you know what? I'm not sure I live a grace-filled life. I'm checking off boxes all the time, and I'm expecting my family, my loved ones around me to do the same thing. I'm not very gracious myself. It's time, folks. It's time to live out that grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray this morning if there's one here who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would trust you right now, that they would believe and have their, your eyes would be open to the forgiveness found in you. That there are Christians here this morning who say, you know, I understand some of the principles of grace, but I don't know how to do it. Then, Father, you would come, the Spirit of God, you would teach them this week how to be more forgiving, how to be more gracious, how to live out the Christian life in such a way that people want that life for themselves that are around us. May we be Jesus here on earth. May we represent Christ wherever we go. And may they see him in us. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.